Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome to Global Chat Radio. My name is Harry Mithen. My wife and I, Heather and myself, have been doing a few programs which we generally have been calling Friday Forum 4 to 5. Now, as we're coming towards the end of the year, we certainly won't be having a program at that time next week, but we're looking into a different, um, perhaps different title for our programs. We're very interested in all things multicultural. And one of the first things I'm going to ask our guest today is to talk about his own multicultural uh, background and his ancestry and so on. But I just want to say to you that um, Global Chat Radio has been going now for, it's been, the, the music has been playing for quite a number of years by our techn- technological magician, Franco, who is sitting opposite us and who is helping us to reach your airwaves. And Franco has introduced at our new site here at Tewitt College in Tewitt Hill, he's introduced um, various presenters and talking about very many topics regarding multiculturalism. He is a great champion of multiculture in WA, and we are certainly committed to trying to help us all realise that in some sense we are all brothers and sisters, no matter who we are, no matter what colour we are, and no matter uh, where we work or live. So, with that little introduction, may I introduce to you my dear friend and family member, in fact, Joshua Victor Bodenstaff. Welcome, Josh. Thank you very much for having me here, Harry. Josh, um, how do I happen to know your your middle name, I wonder? Uh, well, for the most part, you are, um, in fact, family. Uh, and, uh, yeah, very much... <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much part of the scene. Indeed, that's right. Josh. Indeed, correct. And let us first say that you've got roots in se- several countries, including um, your mother was born of was born of uh, Heather and Victor Belke. Now, mm. Victor was from which country? Uh, Victor was from from Poland. Correct. And and Victor, sadly. Your grandfather, your real grandfather, died at the age of, I think, 52 and left mum widowed with her four children, including your mother and three of your uncles. And she was battling along. I was um, uh, going through a bit of a crisis of my own for a few years at that time. But we did eventually meet up and eventually in 1986 we married. So, Josh, uh, you and your uh, siblings and your cousins, you all call me Gramps, which is uh, a great honour for me because you, my whole family, your whole family has welcomed me into your family so lovingly and caringly over 35 years. Um, your grandma and I will be married 35 years in on Easter Sunday this coming this coming year. Incredible. It is incredible that uh, Harry's lasted that long. <laughs> Josh, so it's great to see you. So so Victor was from Poland mm-hmm. and he was in war-torn Poland as the Germans had taken over and later on the Russians took over. Um, Victor and his brothers and sisters were um, 
more or less forced into uh, they were try they were forced into trying to become um, members of the Nazi Party, which of course they resisted, and um, eventually they escaped. I forget which country they escaped through, but they they went through the mountains, probably the Alps, and eventually got to West to, to Western Australia and Perth. So Victor. So you've got Polish blood in you, Josh. I do, and that's not the only blood that does exist within me. Um, I do extend to various different uh, aspects of the world. I'm very yes. multicultural. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that, uh, yeah, my my father's side um, does extend from um, Deutschland. Um, so mm. I am Dutch um, by blood, as well as um, do have ancestry with... Uh, as German and Scottish. Yes. So and I believe quite a mixture. Quite a mixture, and that's good. It's, I think it's good to be richly blessed with the, the DNAs and the bloods of um, various lands and cultures. Josh, your dad's name was Robbie Bodenstaff when he met your mother mm -hmm. before you were on the scene, of course. Indeed, and my father was actually the first one of his family to actually be born in Australia. All of his other family were uh, from uh, Deutschland. Okay. Yes. Yes. And, and I think Robbie and your mum, Monica, have been back to Holland a few times. Uh, they've been back once to actually meet the our family in Holland. Mm -hmm. um, many of them um, only speak uh, Dutch, so it made it a little bit complex for uh, both uh, mum and dad to converse appropriately yes um but they did their best with the the with the native tongue <laughs> and of course language is a big well it can be it's a it's a blessing all the different languages but it's a um it can be an obstacle can't it it can definitely be an obstacle and a barrier for mm -hmm. really communicating um to many people in this world and a lot of people get put off getting involved in multiculturalism because they say, oh, I can't speak their damn language or, or something like that. So the, the name Bodenstaff, it sounds very Dutch to me. And we remember your, like if you call me Gramps and um, my, my dear wife Heather, your nana, mm. uh, but you also had on your father's side. Yes, I had um, my Oma and Opa. Oma and Opa, that's right. That's, that's a nice little pair of names, isn't it? Mm. Oma and Opa Bodenstaff, and they made many trips when I was first married to Heather. They made many trips over here to the west because they came from Gippsland. They did come from Gippsland and Victoria, um, mm. and for the most part they would travel over frequently um, mm. to see their grandchildren and their family over here in Western Australia. They were very proud of, um, well, they were very proud of Robbie, Apart from the fact that he was a great family man and produced four strapping boys who who are now four strapping young men and uh, all going really well too. So you've got three brothers, Josh, haven't you? I do, yes. I am one of four. And no sisters? No sisters. Uh, so, so um, Josh, tell us about the other links. We've got um, another link is uh, German-speaking. Um, Heather, your, your nana, tells me that uh, her dad was uh, born in, he was born in, uh, where was he born, Harry? He was born, he, he certainly was a German speaking. And in fact, he was a pastor of the Lutheran Church. He was. And he 
uh, when he came to Australia, he, um, he wasn't particularly keen on staying in the uh, capital of Lutheranism in Australia, which was Adelaide. He was very keen to head west. He was like a uh, cowboy, sort of got on his horse, came across here to the west, across the Nullarbor, and he did wonderful work with particularly with German and European migrants after the war. I believe he spent days and days and days down at the Fremantle Wharves welcoming migrants, helping them to get jobs, helping them in their faith, of course, and helping them in housing and so on. So Pastor Grabner is a well-known name in here in Perth and, in fact, the main hall of the Lutheran Church in Northbridge is called the Pastor Grabner Hall. And um, so he's remembered for that. So he, so there's a German connection there as well. And Josh, did you mention something about Scottish? I did. I did mention something about Scottish. <laughs> uh, so I wonder on your... Um, that, that is more on my, um, my mother's side. On, yes. Okay. So, um, so it's good. It's good. And when we come to talk about your life over here in Western Australia... We'll be very interested to hear you talking about uh, multiculturalism in remote areas because that's what you have become. Yes. You have become a... Remote area nurse. Yes, indeed you have. Are there many of you remote area nurses throughout Australia? Any idea? Uh, We're limited. Yes. We are very limited as, um, as much as... Remote is limited mm-hmm. um, for the fact that it is such a challenging mm-hmm. um, and, yeah, very, very confronting uh, work mm-hmm. that we do in remote areas. So we do exist, um, but you won't hear much about us um, because we're most of the time fully um, evoked in our own work yes. in doing what we can to help the communities. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in fact, I don't know about Franco sitting opposite here at the controls, but you are the first remote area nurse that I have ever met in my 80-odd years. So uh, Astounding. <laughs> it is astounding. astounding, isn't it? And so, so it'll be good for our listeners to hear more about it. But first, let's come back to... I know that you went to school here in Perth. You went to school up in the northern suburbs? Yes, in uh, Duncraig. In Duncraig, right? Yes. And uh, you did year twelve there. I yes completed uh, my high school education um, mm-hmm. and graduated year twelve from St Stephen's. From St Stephen's in Col- College. Yep. yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, preceding um, graduation, then went on to uh, study enrolled nursing. Um, at en- TAFE. Enrolled nursing, was it? Yes. yes right. Yes. yes. So in Australia, we have two different um, kinds of nursing. We have enrolled nursing and registered nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I didn't do any of the um, routine pathway to get into a university um, course, I went through TAFE and became an enrolled nurse, which took me a year and a half to do. So I graduated uh, as an enrolled nurse at the age of 19. At the age of 19? 19. Was, that was young, wasn't it? It was. It was. And um, I didn't realise how much there was to learn until mm. I started on the journey. 
Mm. Josh, do you think when you first started the course, um, I, I, I say this because when I was at school, when they started talking about biology and all the different parts of the body, I was totally confused. I did not understand about ligaments and I didn't understand about blood vessels or aortas and things like that. <laughs> but did you, did you, were you captured by the interest in the. In reflection on getting my education, I was both um, interested but also ignorant mm -hmm. um, surrounding what um, I was getting myself in for. Um, ignorant for the most part of not really taking. Um, the education seriously um, surrounding um, the work that I was about to embark on. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, once I completed my education, I was um, very privileged to be one of seven in the state selected to work at Princess Margaret Hospital for Children, mm. um, where I stayed there for a good um, six years yes. um, to... Uh, work not only in numerous different wards um, across um, the children's hospital, but um, I ended my career there by working in the emergency department. Um, now, it wasn't until I was in the emergency department prior to that that I completed my registered nursing at oh. university um, to really allow me to um, extend my practice mm -hmm. um, because ultimately um, I absolutely loved my occupation yeah. and just wanted to um i was almost um a bit ad addicted <laughs> to actually learning yes because it was just so thrilling <laughs> to learn about the the human body and its complexities mm -hmm. um which is why um after completing um my bachelor of science in nursing um in at university um, I, and uh, finishing in the emergency department um, at um, Princess Margaret Hospital, I went on to um, take a whole different approach to nursing and became a school health nurse up in the Kimberleys of Western Australia. Mm. Um, completely different work to hospital work, um, but ultimately was looking for um, a bit of uniqueness. Mm. Um, and a change. Um, and the change uh, was very much, um, in essence, I guess, unexpected because um, I didn't know what to expect. Mm. Um, and um, that was my first proper exposure to Indigenous health. Right. Um, where I learned so much about um, the Indigenous um, people mm. of Australia. Mm -hmm. um, and working up in uh, Derby, of all places, as a school health nurse, mm. um, did happen to come across um, the majority of the town being Indigenous. Um, and that um, there's nothing really as much as there is so much stigma um, on them being scary, that if you just have a nice chat with them, mm -hmm. they're just regular folk like you and me mm, with course. incredible stories to tell. Mm, yes. If you'll only listen. Josh, just dwelling on that just for a minute, with the idea of a school nurse, the schools that I went to and the colleges, we always had a school nurse, but she appeared to be always running around in a white uniform and an apron and a little hat 
and uh, she would look after the cuts and bruises, especially after a football match. Um, but you probably, in Derby, did you meet anything very more serious and things like that? Uh, well, for the most part, um, school health nursing up in the Kimberleys is different to school nursing down in um, tertiary okay. um, areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our, our skill set is quite limited with what we are to do as school health nurses. Um, so the main responsibilities were ear health, eye health, and inoculations um, to help the kids um, to assess them and make sure that they're actually developing mm. um, appropriately and able to really advance through school. I guess there's not much you can do as far as success in studies if your eyes and your ears aren't working well, too well. Exactly that. You can't read mm. and you can't hear Yeah. what the education is. Mm-hmm. Right, Josh, thank you. Um, we'll get on to something else later. I wonder is it time for a little bit of music, Josh? I think you've picked out some music and your first one is called Free by Charlie Puth. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about it? Can we understand? Can we oldies understand all the words? You should be, we've if, got, you, if you listen. If we've got good ears and good eyes. <laughs> They'll never know just who you but they can turn your bright star dark They'll try to hold your spirit down Couldn't do it then, can't do it now They'll try to tell you who to be But they can't change the way you feel Can't tame a wild heart
Thank you, Josh. Um, I, I just picked up some of the words there. Uh, can you tell us what the theme of free freedom that um, Charlie was singing about? Absolutely. So this the song itself is based upon um, a real life event of um, basically people or animals not having a voice to express their freedom, and for a lot of the time. Um, they tend to be held in um, captivity and not given the chance to be, in essence, free. Mm. Um, and so um, the song comes from um, a movie um, recently released um, and is just absolutely magnificent in uh, expressing um, the true nature of um, being free. Um, and just the power of it. Um, I very much relate to it surrounding, not for um, me itself, but for a lot of my um, my clients or my patients who I've looked after mm. in mm. the past. Many of them don't have a voice, especially being paediatric patients. They're not always um, in the best situation and there's not always an opportunity for someone to speak up for them, especially for little babies who can't actually speak. So as a health practitioner, we advocate um, very strongly for a lot of um, people in this world um, and a lot of our patients or clients to allow them to receive the care that they need Mm. um, to look after them so that they're getting equal treatment. Josh, that sounds great. And... um and you first obviously the <clears throat> excuse me the most uh, the most serious problem would be when there is not freedom for humans but uh, he was also talk singing about the freedom uh, that animals haven't got a lot of the time too and i think i think there's slowly and surely becoming more and more known and accepted by people that um, that animals are a wonderful part of our creation and that um, you know you do hear a thing about dog races and even horse racing has come under quite a lot of review recently there's a lot of of new rules coming in about it uh, where there can be cruelty and so on so Josh thanks for that song that was uh, good and it was a good melody too wasn't it I'm glad you enjoyed it Josh now we're talking a little bit about uh, Derby when you were working there as the school nurse would you say they were happy times? For the most part, 
Um, it was initially happy, um, but due to my limitation and my restrictions in my duties, um, I wasn't happy, um, which is why I was only in the job for six months um, mm. before I left because there's nothing worse in my mind as doing something that you don't love, um, mm. which is why I proceeded to actually get a job in the hospital once more, okay. but not just at any hospital. It was Derby Hospital, um, which allowed me to uh, excel, thrive, and prosper. And, and learn, no doubt. And learn such an incredible amount <laughs> of um, information, mm. as well as educate me on so many different diseases mm. um, and um, medical problems that the indigenous population do suffer from. Right. Um, and I guess one of the shocking revelations that I came across was how so many of the nurses up there um, were so limited with the education. Many of them had been nursing there for quite a number of months, um, but it wasn't until I got there that they started to receive an education on these diseases um, and these medical problems that the people did suffer from mm. um, before they could, yeah, really help the Indigenous to um, get better health. Mm. Yeah. Josh, you probably might even say that you look back on the Derby years, was it a couple of years? Mm. Or? Well, it was six months as a school health nurse, um, but I ended up staying up there for a good uh year and a bit longer um, because I didn't just stop at being a, um, a nurse in the hospital. I kind of saw the, the necessary need for education and how much I loved education and became an educator myself. Mm. And um, so I applied for a job as what was known as the staff development nurse. Um, where within, within the... Uh, within not just the hospital itself, but... It also involved um, working at a few other um, areas across the Kimberley. Um, so I assisted with the professional development of um, Derby and Fitzroy Crossing Hospital, mm. all the staff. Okay. And um, w were many of those nurses in those, in, both in Derby and in Fitzroy Crossing, were they living around the area? I mean, were they... Remote area nurses, as in come from uh, the towns and cities to work? or Some of them, yes, okay. um, but mm. others had come from small communities yeah. um, and just loved the, the essence of being in a small community mm. instead of having to be in a big tertiary <laughs> yeah. area. Not their thing. It's not for everyone. And in those two hospitals, Fitzroy Crossing and Derby, were there many... First Peoples or Indigenous people uh, on the staff there? Yeah, there were actually. And it was just yes. absolutely wonderful to to see them being a part of not only the community but a part of um, the the hospital units themselves. Yeah. And mm. um, as for many of them, um, would take the time to listen to their stories, yeah. learn the language. Yeah. Um, uh, Unfortunately, can't actually remember anything uh, from yeah. Western Australia um, because that was quite a number of years ago now. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. always, always happy to to learn. 
when you came, Josh, into the studio here, I noticed you went straight to a poster that Franco has got on the global chat radio um, uh, notice board of the names. The Are they the indigenous names of the parts of the body? Yes. Yes, they are. Um, but that is in just one of the many dialects. Yes. Um, the... The main dialect that I'm familiar with at the moment is Gurindji. Gurindji. Uh, Gurindji, yeah. So I, I, um, I'm not fluent by any um, means, but uh, I do know of keywords so mm-hmm. that I can communicate with my clients out in the community um, so they feel, number one, respected, mm-hmm. um, but um, so they can know that culture is thriving. Um, that as much as I may not be um, um, their their skin colour, um, mm. but it doesn't mean that we can't actually speak the same language. Mm. And just a little digression, Josh. We, uh, here in Perth, we probably the um, the race that we hear most about is the Nungas. Nungas. You talk about the Gurindji, who I have heard of, but are they from one area or are they spread out all over the? West or what? So they're spread out across the um, the Catherine West region of the Northern Territory. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, so it's only a small part of the uh, Northern Territory. There are well and truly over 200 different um, within the actual mm. um, whole of Australia, um, and each one has a different dialect to it. Um, right. Just to give you some... Um, I guess, understanding of how big <laughs> Australia is yeah. um, and how many different languages that so many of the Indigenous population do actually communicate with. Mm-hmm. There's a big, I've seen a great big map, like it takes up a whole table of all the um, different races, are they called races or tribes? What are, what are they? Tribes. Tribes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's just so many spread all over the country, aren't there? Mm. So um, for the most part, for the last uh, six to eight weeks, I've been in Gurindji um, country. Oh, okay. Yep. So, Hence why I do know um, what is known as Gurindji. Gurindji, <laughs> yes. Josh, um, recently I was talking to, I was telling Franco, uh, a man from Ethiopia. Uh, his name is Jodo. And Jodo is going to come in, hopefully, um, perhaps early after the in the new year. He's going to come and sit in your chair there and tell us about his experiences because Ethiopia, which you don't hear much about in the paper or on TV, but it's apparently absolutely a war-torn place with so many different races and, uh, well, I suppose, tribes and lots of war. Jodo himself and his wife and four kids, his four kids were born in a refugee in a, in a detention camp and um so that when you were talking about the different you know races and so on it brought that to my mind and to, jo, jodo was just so happy to be out here now but the, but there's not so much antagonism towards each other amongst the the various groups not that i have um come to see in my time out there i mean it's only been a short time yeah um so only time will tell yeah yeah good on you josh now, the next thing we might talk to you about is when – one other question I was going to ask you about. When you were a school nurse in Derby, you mentioned that you felt you had limitations and restrictions. Do you want to just say a little bit about that? Were you 
held up in not being able to do what you wanted to do or what? Mm. So coming from a big tertiary hospital um, uh, in Princess Mocha Mocha Hospital, um, definitely had a vast array of um, skills. Mm. Um, However, in going into um, community health, was quite limited with being a school health nurse for just doing eye checks and ear checks um, and uh, inoculations um, instead of doing a lot more first aid um, to allow for any injured um, children Mm -hmm. instead of having to go directly to the hospital um, to come see me. But that wasn't the way uh, when I was there. Don't know if it's changed, but that was the way okay. from when I was there. It was there. Yeah. And Josh, you were very... How old were you when you were the school nurse in Derby? That is a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stretching the memory. Mm, it is. It is. I'd say maybe... After six years at Princess Margaret. Maybe 26. Yes, just middle 20s. Yeah. So you were a young buck, weren't you? Mm. Look at you now. You're a mature young man. <laughs> a wise young man. <laughs> Josh, um... What about now? The next thing I was going to ask you was about, you mentioned to me talking about non-accidental injuries that you've come across. Was that in Fitzroy Crossing and places like that? That was not only in Fitzroy Crossing, but in um, the big um, tertiary hospital, Princess Margaret Hospital, Princess Margaret Hospital for Children. Um, uh, yeah, not, not... Injuries that were not through... Just accidents. Yes, hence the name non-accidental injuries. Okay. Um, unfortunately, um, there are those children who um, are not always in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just very fortunate that they get um, brought in for um, to be having a check overdone mm-hmm. um, in whether that be the hospital um, or a clinic um, and... The story doesn't always match with um, the injuries before us. Right. Um, and f- yeah, it, it it can be very confronting to mm. to see, especially for um, children who have cigarette burns up their arms, yeah. um, or complete um, uh, raccoon eyes um, from um, the child being completely shaken. Yeah, what, what was that about the eyes? So they're known as raccoon eyes. Raccoon eyes. Yeah, so they're from head trauma. Um, okay. So yeah. children who've either been smashed in the head um, or shaken yeah. can actually develop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, very much you would think someone has painted them for Halloween, um, but yeah. that's not the case. Yes. Um, and, unfortunately, a lot of these non-accidental injuries do have long-term complications, mm. um, but feel as though a lot of um, people who do inflict them don't think about the long-term complications yeah. themselves yes. as to the debilitation that the child is going to sustain. Yes, yeah. And Josh, excuse me, you've spoken about the the learning and the um, the knowledge and the science behind all the health issues and between and and about how hospitals and medical people can help people with all these issues what about the mental side or perhaps could even call it the pastoral care side did you have like workshops and seminars and things about about your own attitude for example for about your own mental health and and about um, 
you know, seeing through or getting through these traumas that you're witnessing so often? Um, thankfully, the the government does provide us with what's called um, employee assistance um, to allow us to either receive counselling um, with any psychological trauma that um, gets inflicted on us um, because as much as we may seem okay, yeah. we, we do have a tendency for being able to um, put a shield Mm. much like Superman puts a shield on, we put a shield on being our uniforms. Um, and it may not seem as though don't penetrate through us, um, but they, we're only human um, and they do get get to us indeed. Um, mm. And it, I'm just exceptionally thankful for not only the employee assistants who I have used over the years um, to help me through a lot of the traumatic ordeals that I have been faced with but also yeah we've also got um, incredible support networks out in remote um, being a, um, there's a, a bush crisis okay. uh, number that is available for us to speak with someone 24 7 um, because not every situation is ideal yeah. it's all safe yeah. for us to go in but we do what we need to mm-hmm. to do our job yeah to care and Josh, um, are there government bodies or, I don't know, churches or other institutions where people can get the pit? I'm talking about the people who live there and maybe the families where a child or a youth or you've had experience with even people who have attempted suicide, things like that. Is there counselling and uh, help issues apart from, say, ringing up the, what did you call it, the bush the bush, the bush crisis, the bush yeah. Crisis. Um, unfortunately, it is very limited to what they can physically yeah. um, get faced with um, or for support. Um, ultimately, we're always there. Our door is always open mm. um, when we are there for them to express mm. um, any of their um, mental uh, frustrations that are going on um, or mental problems. Um, and... From there, we do what's called referring um, Mm -hmm. to the appropriate health bodies um, within the system. Um, I'm still learning um, every single day as Mm. to um, the the vast support networks that we do have in place um, because they do exist, um, but not everyone knows about them. And a lot of people just probably get lost, you know, between the cracks, as they say, don't they? So, Josh, we better move on. What about um, how come when you were working in these uh, Fitzroy Crossing and Derby and so on, did you then, after that experience of a couple of years, did you then come back to Perth? And what I'm interested in is how come you left Princess Margaret here and then the remote area worked for a while and ended up in the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne? <laughs> Uh, there, there were a few other um, things along the way, okay. but ultimately, I'm only human, um, and uh, yeah, I the the main reason for me leaving the Kimberleys is I um, went into my own medical problems okay. um, and needed to sort myself out, right. um, which I did. Um, got the necessary specialists to see me um, mm. and um, got me back into tip-top shape mm-hmm. um, before I endeavoured up to Darwin, uh, where I nursed up there for six months, oh, yes. um, which was um, both eye-opening 
um, and shocking at times um, to to be witness to a lot of um, I guess you would call it bullying um, as such um, mm-hmm. where not every nurse is nice um, or mm. not every person that you come across within the medical profession is nice um, I was there to do a job and ultimately the the nurses didn't like the fact that I had compassion um, and they were very very um, harsh on many of the the patients um, and mm. because of me doing my job I got bullied to the point of um, both verbal and physical um, mm. where I was uh, pushed downstairs um, was pushed against walls um, just because I was doing my job mm. um, which um, yeah as much as I did go through that negativity um, mm. thankfully I have incredible family and friends who helped support me so that I didn't actually quit nursing because I was uh, on the cusp of quitting altogether mm. um, because it was just absolutely terrifying to have your own life um, be so, um, yeah, take, taken aback for doing what you love. And to have to go into work every day amongst people like that must have been, must have been terrible. It was. Thankfully, whilst I was there, the, um, I worked as an agency nurse, so I could actually make right. the request to not go back to that area, which I did. Um, so, uh, yeah, I yeah. was able to continue on to nurse in other areas that did support and appreciate everything that I had to offer. Josh, I think we need a breather now after that. Thanks for that so far, Josh. I think you've got another song coming up uh, you've chosen and it's called clouds by d capella what's that one about clouds dark clouds clouds nonetheless um (laughs) uh the the story behind it is ultimately it is written by a cancer um cancer person yeah Yeah, um the the person who did wrote it um died of osteosarcoma so cancer in the bone um and ultimately really highlights the fact that time is short make the most of what you have Way to climb and grab. 
take that little ride We'll sit there holding hands and everything will be just right And maybe someday I'll see you again We'll float up in the clouds and we'll never see the end And we'll go up, 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 but I'll fly a little higher Go up in the clouds because the view's a little nicer Thank you, thank you, Josh. Um, you told us that you you've told us about your experiences up in Darwin, and before that in Fitzroy Crossing and so on, Derby. Um, then the next one of your next major steps was to move over to the heart of civilization in Melbourne, which is my hometown. Tell me about your thoughts about moving over to Melbourne. Mm, so, um, uh, thank you for that. <laughs> Yes, I did move to um, Melbourne to work at the Royal Children's Hospital, the excellence for paediatric care. The main reason for moving there was I wanted to get a bit more exposure to um, providing critical care to paediatric um, people um, across um, the, the spectrum of what is Australia. Um, and ultimately, yeah, I... Uh, started off working as a casual, but within um, two months I was in the emergency department where I based myself, uh, mm. working as an emergency nurse mm. at the Royal Children's Hospital, which was just absolutely phenomenal on many frontiers. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it gave me so many different opportunities. The, the greatest of all was um, started this year, actually, um, where I was given the opportunity to um, take on remote work, um, which got me back into being a remote nurse, um, where I partook in uh, alternating with another nurse um, every six weeks. Um, so six weeks we'll be out remote somewhere in Australia, um, and the other six weeks we would come back and work at the Royal Children's, giving us a chance to, number one, um, really hone in on our skill set but number two to be able to educate many of the nurses who aren't getting exposed to the remote remote side of nursing as to what it is um, like the challenges um, the different amount of exposures to many different uh, medical experiences so Josh, you uh, were spending some time going to remote areas, even though you were working as a casual at the Royal Children's in Melbourne. So I wasn't a casual per se, um, because I, that was only for my first two months. Oh, okay. um, so after that, I became a uh, permanent employee right. uh, in the emergency department. Yes. Um, so I was just um, given the rare opportunity to be able to embark on doing the alternative uh, remote work and tertiary mm -hmm. um, hospital work. Um, and it was going absolutely fantastic until COVID. Yes, yes, of course. It stopped everything. COVID inhibited um, and limited us from being able to do much of the uh, important work that we mm. were doing. Mm. Um, but it was enough to give me a taste, a taste of 
a side of nursing that um, I ultimately fell in love with mm. and just felt as though it was really meant for me, um, which is why um, I took on uh, remote nursing um, permanently. Um, and so that's uh, where I am now. I'm now a permanent remote area nurse mm. uh, in the Northern Territory, um, given the opportunities to travel to multiple different remote communities mm. um, to give them the necessary nursing care mm -hmm. um, that they need. Yes. And Josh, during COVID, of course, you sometimes had to travel interstate and go on uh, quarantine. Oh, you? good old quarantine. <laughs> you enjoyed it, didn't you? Uh, there, given the situation, you've got to make the most of any situation. You've got mm. to focus on the positives out of the negatives. Yes, you're in isolation. Yes, you're in quarantine because you may foreseeably have the superbug. Um, mm. But that doesn't mean that you can't limit yourself to um, what you can do. Um, and for me, I actually um, excelled and enrolled in certain courses. I did five qualifications when mm -hmm. I was in um, quarantine, um, and I got to get into a lot of my uh, creative juices um, and did a lot of music recordings mm. um, and music videos. So, um, yeah, it was, it was it was good for me. <laughs> when you mention music, do you mean... Has music been, in your experience, has music helped sick kids or youths? Uh, music is very much my breakaway from the medical frontier. Oh, personally, um, yeah. To allow me to really get out a lot of my frustrations, um, any anger that I might have within my soul, um, mm. and just allows me to um, express who I am and what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. um, it's just absolutely marvellous to you're have a bit, music. You're a bit of an artistic beast. <laughs> <laughs> I do all right. <laughs> That's good, Josh. That's great. And, um, and and so this, when you talk about remote areas, we think of Western Australia and Northern Territory, but are there, what about are there remote areas one could travel to in, say, Queensland or perhaps the islands? Yes. Yes, yeah. there are many, many about um there's always the essence of doing your research before you go um, because as much as they might be there um, <clears> some <throat> of them do require you to have a permit to enter mm. because you're entering traditional lands um, and the elders need to approve you mm. for going into there um, to ensure that um, the, the land isn't disrupted yeah. and that sacred areas are safe mm. Josh, a few years before you, if you don't mind me being a bit personal for a second or two, uh, before you went to Royal Children's Hospital, my brother-in-law, who was perhaps in his early 60s, owned a private plane and he was part of the Flying Angels. Have you heard of the Flying Angels? They were volunteers who took um, ch sick children from, say, places in northern Victoria or New South down to Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne and poor Don crashed one day. Um, he crashed his plane and he had a little child and a mother on board. The child was killed too. Don, Don was killed and, and the child was killed as well. So these flying angels and the, um, 
What's the, what's the big one that goes there? The Flying Doctor. They do wonderful work. Yeah, the Royal Flying Doctor, uh, Care Flight, um, and the Flight Angels, all of them are so imperative yeah. with the work that we do because it is such a distance to travel. I mean, to give you some context, um, where I was in my remote sitting was 860 kilometres south of Darwin. Gosh. The community consisted of about 500, but we had outer communities that yeah. could get anything up to 800. And ultimately, we are one clinic looking after so many people. Mm. We can only do so much because mm. we're only human. But we do what we do because we love what we do. Yeah. Do, are, are there in these various places, are, are there volunteer people come along and go to, um, you know, go to the help the, the, the staff not a lot. very very rare okay. very rare for that to happen i'm sure there are volunteers out there i'm just yet to yeah. um see much of it see much of it yeah. yeah i suppose drivers and people who help with maybe food or clothing mm. or whatever. um for the most part we do have a lot of um the indigenous people that are employed in the clinics that are either drivers yeah. Um, to help to get people who can't get to the clinic physically to go collect them so we can look after them mm-hmm. and attend to their medical needs. Yeah. So, Josh, you made a fairly dramatic statement just before saying that you have now become a rem- oh, I wouldn't say about, I don't know about for life, but I'm now a remote area nurse. Mm. And that was a big step to take. It was. It was. And for the most part... Um, Being a remote area nurse, um, it's not a simple job. It's got so many complexities to it, um, Mm. and it's not for everyone. It really isn't. Um, It will battle you um, both physically and mentally. You'll have many sleepless nights, Mm. um, but it's knowing your limitations, knowing how you can look after yourself Mm -hmm. um, because Ultimately, um, the community needs you, but you need to look after yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sel- so. Self-care is so paramount to the work that we do, um, which is why, for me, I, I love getting out to nature and exploring and you do. Um, having the opportunities of the clients or the patients that we meet. Um, a lot of them just love hearing the fact of our, our want for adventure, um, and yeah. will happily take us out um, oh, good. to numerous different places across the the um, communities themselves. Um, so it's a true blessing. Um, but in um, going back to becoming a remote area nurse, there are quite a fair few credentials you need to have to do it. Um, and off the top of my head... Um, you do need to very much know how to save a life. Mm-hmm. So having your advanced life support for adults, paediatrics, yeah. and neonates, because mm-hmm. you are dealing with everyone from the unborn to um, the yeah. the end of life. Yeah. For palliative care, we yeah. deal with every frontier. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it really does need you to have a whole plethora of skills. Yeah, um, yeah. Many, many of which they um, they do assist you. Um, the mm. nurses are just so fantastic with mm. um, encouraging and 
um, getting you to prosper um, within the actual communities themselves and teaching you skills and language that are just going to you're going to hold forever mm-hmm. so josh i've got a little quiz for you now have you ever dealt with a patient who has been bitten by a crocodile or a redback spider or a um, snake i've dealt with a brown snake bite right yes is a brown snake pretty dangerous uh they're one of the deadliest right yes what did you do uh ultimately uh, advised them to stop moving okay um because you need to immobilize the limb uh, any slight movement allows for the venom to actually travel the bloodstream mm. getting one bit closer to your heart okay um thankfully um the the patient was transferred successfully by care flight to uh, the Royal Darwin, where mm-hmm. they had the instruments to um, um, to work out what type of um, snake yeah, okay. um, had actually bit the person, um, and they received the necessary medical attention to save their life. But possibly you're immobilising that person was really helping to save the life, wasn't it? That was the most pivotal and critical mm. care that they needed at that time. Yeah. We yeah. did what we were trained to do. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, you mentioned a few times about, um, I like the way when you talked about COVID, that you made the most of your uh, quarantine because mm. uh, we had a few phone calls at that stage and everybody down here was whinging about uh, all the restrictions and isolation. Not that West Australia was too bad, but uh, but you were enjoying it. You were catching up with your studies. You were doing this music that you were talking about. And um, so things like mindfulness, uh, some people do yoga, some people do... Mm, I've got a, a lovely meditation app on my phone. Okay. Um, so I, I was just doing meditation daily um, to help centre myself mm. um, and centre my life. Josh, we're coming to the end, I think, of this very uh, revealing interview and it's great to have heard um, so much about it all so you're on a little break here with your family here in Perth yes I um, I'm on break until early January and then I um, head back to the Northern Territory to continue doing my um, my remote nursing uh, for another three months before I get another break. So have you been appointed to a certain place? For yeah, three so months? I'm heading to um, a place known as Timber Creek. Timber Creek? Yeah. I think Nana was looking at that and looking it up. Oh, she was very much looking it up. And nearly everyone that I talk about does um, love to have the, the natural curiosity for <laughs> working out where I'm going. Um, yes. for, for much of it, I take it as it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you can never be uh, organized yeah. enough for what you're getting what, what can happen. exposed to. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and they're all people. They're all anything can Ooh. happen with all our ups and downs. Josh, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much for coming along. And we might go out with uh, maybe another song that you, I think that one there. The yeah. Lights. Um, the light surrounding you by Jessica Malboy. Josh, have a great um, holiday down here and we will catch up again soon. Thank you. Thanks for coming to Global Chat Radio. I see you by the water, your toes dipped in the sand. 
I thought that it was over I thought you'd understand But the feeling is returning The time has made us change And I understand if you don't Wanna talk to me about it tonight Cause I see the light surrounding you So don't be afraid of something new Time was overtaking me and I guess I was confused They were all inviting me but I wish I had refused Cause I've been there before and I've seen it all I believe in you And if you never had my heart I never would have called you back At the start that night So I want you to know That I see the light surrounding you So don't be afraid of something Cause I see the light surrounding you So don't be afraid of what you're turning into Something new